Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Seller Performance Solutions. I'm Chris McCabe of e-commerce, former Amazonian and current seller account consultant. And I'm here with Leah McHugh, who's one of our uh, resident listing compliance experts and consultants and special guest, TJ from Payoneer. We've had you as a guest at our meetup here in Boston before. It's your first time on the podcast and e-commerce Chris and Payoneer go way back. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Chris. Good to see you and, and Leigh again. Mm -hmm. And today we've got some interesting stuff. We're, we're going to be talking about some working capital issues, but first wanted to kick things off with talking about, let's see if I can say this straight, <laughs> Amazon's preferred payment provider program, four Ps, apparently. Yep. Did it. Yeah. <laughs> you did it. Awesome. I mastered that. Recent, right? February, this kind of kicked off. Maybe can you define it for people? Maybe some people don't know about it yet. Maybe some people aren't even familiar. So if you could. Sure. So yeah, in February, it was kicked off as an initiative by Amazon. And it seems to that it was rooted in China. Mm -hmm. So we see there's four providers that were announced as part of this new program. And ultimately, you have to be part of this program if you want to be able to receive funds from an Amazon seller. Now that doesn't include your traditional bank, more of these intermediary solutions. So Payoneer is absolutely one of them. What it is at the core, I believe, is a way for Amazon to have a little bit more control over who they're paying funds out to. Ultimately, we know compliance in Amazon and is a, is a big deal in terms of having multiple accounts and having multiple payment solutions and stuff like that. So it's mm -hmm. just kind of streamline each business and obviously, as the payment provider, we have to be in conjunction and, and be aligned with what they want. So. Right. And sometimes it's interesting how Amazon handles this entire topic, right? They're not always equipped or ready or flexible enough to, let's just say, what, adjust to the times? Yeah, I mean, I, I personally think that something like this should have come about four or five, six years ago. Mm -hmm. I really think it's it's a way of them to try and get a better hold of the Chinese sellers. We see that out of the first four providers that were named, they all have large presences in China. So for them to just kind of understand what the Chinese sellers are doing when they're selling internationally, we know that they make up a large portion uh, of the third-party marketplace sellers. They cause a lot of havoc and a lot of good, but a lot of havoc mm -hmm. uh, for sellers around the world. So just to try and get a better grasp on who's actually selling on their marketplace. And then, and Lee and I have talked about this. Sometimes Amazon surprises us because there's supposed to be new data and move quickly and be agile and flexible like you'd expect an online marketplace. And then sometimes they act bureaucratic and slow and not moving with the times like you'd experience from a traditional bank. <laughs> And sometimes that's surprising, but sometimes it's not surprising because we've seen how their other teams and processes, sometimes their tools are not as quickly updated as you'd expect, right? I mean, a lot of people just expect Amazon to act like a new kind of bank. When is Amazon going to just start lending money in a different way like a bank would or update their financial processes? Yeah, I think... It's, it's an assumption that Amazon is this big tech company, which they are. They have incredible tech on the background, mm -hmm. but you also have to remember that they were started as a company in the marketplace model over 20 years ago. 
So what they've done is never really had the opportunity to hit reset. They've always just mm-hmm. built on top, built on top, built on top. Yeah. On top of that, pun intended, is they are very siloed as a business, right? So mm-hmm. the, Chris, mm-hmm. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Stellar performance <laughs> doesn't talk to the payments team, doesn't talk to the advertising team, right? Yeah. So when things try and get changed, I, I think other teams don't get the memo here, there, the other, and you know that causes up delays and back orders and you know, probably takes it off. It's also a very easy way for these teams to pass the buck. So if there's an right. issue, well, that must've been this other team. We had nothing to do with that. And then it just keeps going through the teams, which is something we've experienced too. So when there are technical problems, I imagine it's quite hard to get them solved mm-hmm. with each team, not talking well, to each other. And things other. get transferred around and back again, sometimes transferred in a circle and all you lose is time and, and money. I think it also has to do with them being a, a truly global company, right? If you're talking about the example of a, a Chinese seller who's selling it to the US, who's helping them? Is it where they're based or is it the marketplace they're selling on? Then, you know, then right. there's the language issue potentially, and then we're taking actions past that and, and getting things resolved. So that's something that I've been pretty surprised about, not just Amazon, just in general, how not international financial services are like different bank accounts accessing them overseas can be surprisingly Mm. difficult in this day and age of globalization it seems that finance in general really it is adapting but it's always surprised me as somebody who travels a lot how little it has adapted to a global marketplace but it's i mean banking is just small is traditionally been a small handful of players right which is sort of the monopoly perspective, which is, unless we absolutely have to change things. Well, that's why uh, we need FinTech, right? Right, so bridging the gap. I mean, if you look at banking and, and finance in Europe, in, in the UK and the EU, miles and miles ahead of, of the US. Oh yeah. And mm-hmm. that, Leah, goes to your point, there's, there's only a few players there. But when you look at total number of banks and credit unions in the US, I think it's, now mm-hmm. north of like 7,000. And that doesn't even mm-hmm. include any of the newer neo challenger banks that are trying to kind of right. disrupt and, and bridge the gap for these businesses. So in Europe, yeah. when you know they wanted to move to like faster pay or, or bank to bank transfer, I've never lived in Europe, but friends, when you want to send funds to someone else, you easily send it via oh, yeah. bank to bank. And oh, yeah. I had to learn how to write a check when I moved to the US because I had never written a check before. <laughs> right. Like nowhere else uses checks. <laughs> I still have businesses and services that try to do business with me by check, which I don't do. Right. So <laughs> the U.S. incredibly antiquated in terms of banking. You see these fintechs, as you touched on, like the Venmos of the world, but even the PayPal's of the world and the pioneers are, are trying to bridge the gap between the consumer and the bank or, or between bank and bank even. But it's a bit hurtful. It's an interesting because, topic. Because even when we talk about Amazon being 20 years old and stacking their business units on top of each other as they built, mm-hmm. banks are even older, um, even more complex. And when you get into the regulations of, of being a bank or being a MSB, which is a money mm-hmm. service business, which is what Payoneer is, there's an incredible number of regulations regarding AML and KYC in terms of compliance mm-hmm. and anti-money laundering. But it's a very complex world, I think. There's been incredible strides over the last couple of years. It's still a far way to go, especially for in the U.S. 
yeah, the disruption of the U.S. banking industry, I guess, is still years away, unfortunately. But maybe in the next five years, that'll change rapidly. Somebody will figure out how to do it. If not Amazon, some other giant tech company. Well, and I think um, COVID probably pushed the timeline forward a little bit. Yeah. I mean, like Charles Schwab haven't had branches open for like 12 months now. So they've right, had to right. adapt to that in quite a lot of ways. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned the siloed teams because it's, it's not that long ago that Amazon started making disbursement appeals so publicly different and knowable than emailing seller performance. Seller performance used to just transfer those contacts to the payments teams, but they wouldn't they created this disbursement dash appeals at Amazon email address for like, hey, do you need your money? <laughs> oh yeah, we've got all your money and you don't know where it is or why you haven't received it. It's only like 2019 that this became like a major right. problem where people would, I mean, some people would get suspended. Obviously we're dealing with suspended accounts all the time. They get suspended and then wait 90 days, assuming I'm getting my money. I don't want to sell on Amazon anymore because I can't figure out what the hell they're doing. Right but I want my money. And at 90 days, you wouldn't get it. And you had to start That's still appealing. my favorite Amazon email template though. Yeah. After careful considerations, we have decided that we're going to keep your money. Yeah. We've decided <laughs> not to disperse your funds. It's like, okay, do you have a legal basis for that? Well, it's the, doesn't matter. Know, <laughs> then you get into the whole arbitration and terms of service right. that is a, is a story for another time. But have you dealt with a lot of clients, customers, sellers who are just changing their strategy around money in general, simply because they know Amazon is more likely to hold their money, even if they're active, hold their money in reserves for longer without explaining it in larger amounts, any of those things. You guys must be dealing with this all the time. Yeah. So at the core of, I think every online selling business, Amazon or not, or every business really is, is cash flow, and cash flow mm -hmm. is an incredible issue. Significant number of businesses fail because of, of cash flow issues. So when you now apply that to a business model, like the marketplace selling, where you have to, even, even before getting to Amazon, you have to pay out money to your supplier, even a deposit of 30%, then wait for those items to get to the US under the assumptions coming from China, six weeks, mm -hmm. eight weeks. Now you have to ship it to FBA, another two weeks to get checked in. Then you have to make your sales. Now we're looking at like, a significant number of months where you're going to be out yeah. money when you still have to pay your rent and maybe any staff and lastly, probably yourself, oh, yeah. but any other services. And maybe buy more inventory. Exactly. Because then by the time you get there and your products are sold, hopefully you're selling out like hotcakes, but then you still have to wait the cycle again. And then you don't want to lose all your sales rank that you get to. So we, we realized this a couple of years ago, obviously no secret, but we developed a, a working capital solution specifically for Amazon and Walmart sellers. We were talking before about how it really lends itself to the vendor central side, vendors that you know, are paid on net 60 or net 90 days. Obviously on the, the third party marketplace seller side or seller central side, it's every two weeks, which mm -hmm. can still be a pretty significant gap for some sellers, barring no suspensions or, or any other issues. Well, even without suspension, we had a few larger sellers last year where because they were selling such large amounts, Amazon told them we're going to keep a larger percentage in reserve because of this. Was that for like returns or something? 
it they didn't really I, I guess a reason wasn't really it's given it was just messaging. we've decided that we're going to hold a larger percentage because this is such high volume we also had and I, this may have been covid related because things were a bit weird but we also had people who were selling ppe so all of a sudden they sold like a million dollars worth in a month where before they were only selling a few thousand more. <laughs> yeah. And Amazon Red just flag. decided to keep all of it's that while they looked into it. Like we're keeping all of this until we figure it out. And so there was a period of, we had one client, it took about three months and Amazon was holding about a million dollars worth of their money while they investigated. And it was, well, they weren't even suspended. They, just, they weren't doing, they didn't know. They wrong. were, they were sellers. They were not newbies. Uh -oh. They were perhaps sellers for a while. But in the case that she's talking about, they started selling a different type, a different category, different type of product. But because of the product or just because they're not that agile and flexible with how they manage spike. this, they just carpet bomb. And they're like, we're, well, now we're going to keep this giant reserve. And it wasn't necessarily set up in advance where they'd understand that you can't just like hold on at hundreds of thousands of dollars of somebody's revenue without impacting their business negatively. And what if so in the is... meantime, they had already ordered more inventory and yeah. you know, payments to their suppliers were coming due. They were still selling, yeah. I mean, you have creditors. their cash back. So we have right. these people coming to us. I mean, that's an extreme case, but we, we're regularly having conversations with people who are like, well, I can't afford to do anything about this because I have tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars being held up. Yeah. Right. And I think that circles back to maybe that's an extreme situation, especially during COVID, but a lot of businesses in terms of capital are not always planning far enough ahead. Um, and they're only going to look for the capital when they've already needed it for too long. And that's kind of what, where we sit is like you as an online seller or an Amazon business, you're probably going to have a, a tough time going to your bank to get a traditional loan or a traditional loan from any sort of, non-bank alternative. Whereas our product was specifically made for marketplace sellers and, and Amazon sellers in the sense that we know that the natural ebbs and flows of selling online, you could sell out, your listing could get hacked, you can you know lose the buy box and, and all these things happen. Mm -hmm. But you as a business will understand where you come from and work with you. And that's why our collection is a percentage base. We take a percentage of each disbursement and not, you know, five grand every two weeks you owe us. Right, because, right, right. You know, mm -hmm. things happen, especially in the online selling world. So what I always just say is there's a ton of solutions out there for working capital and, and be prepared for before you need it, you know where your options are. And then also there's a lot of different options within that and make sure you figure out which one's right for you and for your business, especially in terms of the terms and obviously the price or cost. Yeah. I mean, as you know, we're well-versed in telling people how to avoid a suspension and how to prepare for one in case it hits. But the side conversation there is have some reserves, have some resources ready to deal with an account suspension. You'd be surprised how many people don't. Or a listing, not just an account suspension, because that might happen less often to them, but their top-selling ASIN goes right. down. And they're like, oh, we're not prepared for this. We don't have other SKUs that we've launched to make up for some of that business loss. Sometimes they don't have money to, you know, hire us to come in and take over. So they start doing it themselves and they muck it up, but either way they weren't ready. Right. I mean, depending on how you define that, 
in terms of setting aside money to yeah not to get all dave ramsey about it but emergency funds are a useful thing to have right no i mean you got to be prepared for this type of stuff because random stuff happens whether it's a competitor jumping on your list nailing your listing or if it's amazon itself incompetent stuff technical glitches whatever so we're definitely big believers in getting people to prepare for this stuff in advance do you notice that people are taking some of these business decisions a little bit more seriously now? Given the uncertainties of selling on Amazon, they're kind of getting around to understanding the complexities and planning for them. Or is it sort of like, well, we've got a rainy day fund, but... Obviously, we're much more into the financial side now of the financially prepping yourself. But what I also see is businesses being way more controlled with their actions on the marketplace to make sure Mm. that they're not setting off any red flags that Amazon could review them for. Even if you're a hundred percent good seller, things are going to happen. So just being more cautious about maybe not ramping up to go from a thousand dollars a month to a hundred thousand dollars a month, you know, more gradual payment and making sure you're not having five different Amazon accounts. Right. So like making sure You're selling within all the terms of service. I think it very much used to be the wild, wild west, maybe 2014, 15, 16. But when we talk about taxes and financial compliance, especially in the EU, a couple of years ago, definitely (laughs) there was some wild, wild west actions there from both US and Chinese sellers. But I think Mm -hmm. everything has been sort of brought in-house. Unfortunately, I think Amazon got pressured by the local governments, which is good because it it definitely leveled the playing field for everyone. Not only the domestic sellers in the EU or in the UK, um, but for the Chinese sellers, for the US sellers, for global business, we're seeing that in the US too. So with the Marketplace Facilitator Act, I think where the states actually collect the sales tax. So there should be less price gauging and and undercutting because the Chinese supplier doesn't pay the middleman and they don't pay taxes. So their price is $5 less than yours. And and we are seeing a little bit of levelness out in that and and sellers playing by the rules, which they have to do. Yeah. I feel like it's almost split more where there were maybe more people not paying as much attention to the rules a few years ago. Now people are either paying more attention to the rules or people are like going total other side and they're like, I'm just going to do all of this legal stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, Cause we're seeing a lot more abuse on the marketplace. So then the, the sellers who were less inclined to, or maybe even they weren't doing black hat before, but they were doing what they would consider gray hat. They're moving more onto the compliance side mm-hmm. and then the black hat people are just going full throttle on, on the black divide. hat. I think some yeah. people are not going to change their methods and, yeah. If they get shut down, they're going to turn around and try and create a new account and do it again, right? right. Yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, that's some... just a bad actor. It is, uh, yeah. But we are certainly seeing more people coming to us before they're in trouble to have us look at their account, see if there's anything that they're doing incorrectly or th- things that they should be doing differently to reduce that risk. We're seeing a lot more risk avoidance than we were, say, a few years ago. Yeah, I think that'll continue as well. Mm-hmm. I think word is out. Sellers are better educated now on what can potentially happen to them, whether they're established or new. And some of these brands have too much money on the line to risk it. So they're taking it more seriously. They're more aware of how random this stuff can be, Mm -hmm. whether it's Amazon itself or like a competitor messing with them. Uh, We'll see. We'll see what the Andy Jassy era is like. More automation, harder to communicate with Amazon. There's going to be more 
strife and friction around payments issues to be sure. So they'll have to be ready for them. Yeah. But thanks TJ so much for joining us on this podcast. Best way to reach you. Feel free to connect with me via email, tjhy at payoneer.com. TJ, great. Looking forward to speaking with you on these interesting issues again. And thanks everybody for listening. We will catch up with you next time. Thanks guys.